The scripture came from Jonah, the first chapter, the first and the third verse. I read it before, but I'll read it again. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A few years ago, my family and I went to the Sight and Sound Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania to witness the dramatization of the story of the prophet Jonah. Some of you may remember we went on that trip. The play was magnificent, to say the very least, and from my vantage point, it was also biblically accurate. While the dialogue, of course, was flavored with some creative liberties, as you can imagine, the essence of the narrative was very well conveyed, and the team did a great job in making the story of Jonah come alive. As we would expect, everyone waited in anticipation for the dramatic scene of when Jonah would be swallowed by the great fish. And we wanted to see how they would do that in this Broadway theater-like atmosphere. How would they show Jonah being swallowed by this great fish? And true to form, the sight and sound theater operatives and the people behind the scenes did not disappoint us. In fact, their dramatization was so creative that we were, they were able to simulate us being in the audience and they had bubbles all over, like almost as if we were all under sea and they had Jonah suspended from the rafters and then they had this huge balloon that was coming over us in the, in the audience that was the whale and it was just absolutely spectacular to say the least. Now, of course, Whenever the book of Jonah is mentioned, or we line up like we did to watch the dramatization on screen or even at the theater, our minds all move to the account of the prophet being swallowed by the great fish. That is the one thing that everyone thinks about and everyone is really, really in awe of. This prophet of God, this person being swallowed by this great fish. And the story has evoked wonder in many people, especially children. But it has also solicited some ridicule from others who would say, how can someone even live inside the belly of a fish? So with that said, I, I, I thought I would speak to you this morning from what I consider one of the most fascinating books ever recorded in the Bible. And I, and I want to spend a few moments with you talking to you about obedience to God's word and about the implications when you think you know more than God. Therefore, I have titled today's message that I want and I'm hoping that you get into your spirits. A message I've titled, The Lord's Way the Lord's way. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we're offered unto you our worship and our praise. You have heard the cries and the celebration of your people. We have celebrated all the wonderful things that are happening in this church, and we are also honest about the things that are not going as well. But what we do know, Lord, is whether things are up or down, as long as we are on your path, we are on your way. 
we will reach our expected end. And so, Father, today as I preach this message on the topic and the issue of obedience in you, let my words not sound all flowery, that people are impressed with my articulation or even my pronunciations. But let them hear the Spirit that is crying out to the church today to release itself of its selfish ways, to stop thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, and let us really take seriously the call to care for the least of these. For you said, as we do it unto the least of these, we're doing it unto you. So let us not be blinded by fancy robes and all of the accoutrements that come with elevation from man. But, oh God, let us be humble in spirit and recognize that true greatness comes in service to those who are the least among us. Help us, oh God, with our obedience. Help us, oh God, with our desires. But help us, oh God, with our love. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I never take it for granted that when I preach a message that everybody knows the stories, everybody knows what's happening, and sometimes we preach as pastors, we preach as if everybody has read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation <laughs> and knows every story. So I never ever want to make that assumption because sometimes people are coming to the faith for the very first time and they don't even know Jonah. They don't even know who that is. Not everyone had the privilege and the opportunity to go through Sunday school. And so I'll give you a really quick overview of what the book of Jonah uh, talks about. Well, God called this man named Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh to cry out against the wickedness of that city. But instead, he decided he was going to flee what God was telling him to do and where God was sending him to go. And he went in the opposite direction because he didn't want to be a successful preacher. You see, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't want people to know about God's mercy. So while on this ship now, he was going and a big storm came. And Jonah, being the prophet that he is, recognized that the storm was happening on this ship all around him because he was doing what God did not tell him to do. And so he told the, the, the people on the ship, throw me overboard into the water, into yeah. the ocean. And when they threw him into the ocean, the storm stopped. And in the water now, clearly, drowning was his destiny. <laughs> but through the providence of God, a great fish, the Bible tells us, came along and it swallowed Jonah. Well. And Three days, Jonah lived in the belly of this fish, probably eating seaweed, and the fish spit him out onto dry land, and God again said to him, go to this place called Nineveh and preach my word. Jonah's message to the Ninevites was that Nineveh would be overthrown and destroyed in 40 days unless the people repented. That's what Jonah's message was to go to the people of Nineveh. Go tell the people that in 40 days, fire and brimstone is going to rain down on your city. It's going to be destroyed and you can do nothing about it unless you repent. 
God was angry at the Ninevites. But Jonah was angry because Jonah knew that God was a merciful God. And that Jonah, was, Jonah knew that God would, if the people repented, that God would really indeed not overthrow the people. So Jonah was mad and he had a fit. He went up, got under a shade tree with his angry self. And of course, God did not destroy Nineveh. God allowed a little tree to grow to cover Jonah because it was hot. And Jonah sat there and then the tree died. And Jonah was angry because the tree died. That's the story in a nutshell. Because Jonah needed shade. That's the whole story in a nutshell. Now, there are many things that's going on in the story. There are many nuances to the story. But what I really want to focus on is just two aspects of the story, which are, for one, Jonah's obedience and Jonah's disobedience. Let's begin looking at verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. From these opening verses, we can conclude two things. Two things. Number one, God's word was given, and it was given to a particular prophet. It was given specifically to Jonah, who has been identified as the son of Amittai, who we know. And the reason it identified it was because when you read the book of 2 Kings, you will see that Jonah was in fact a really respected prophet. How you know prophets were respected was because if a prophet said to you, this was going to happen, and it actually happened, then the people know that this prophet heard from God. So Jonah was a respected prophet. The, everyone knew that when Jonah speak, the Lord was speaking. So God's word came to Jonah, this respected prophet. And Jonah heard it. The second thing that we know was that Jonah's message was not his own, but God's. That's important, church. Yeah. Very often when pastors preach from pulpit, you can't tell the difference between whether or not they're giving you their opinion or they're telling you what thus saith the Lord. Let me be very clear. The scriptures are clear. We as pastors and leaders, whenever we take the pulpit, are going to be held accountable for every idle word. So to every pastor, preacher, leader, teacher who believes that you come here just so you can tell people what you think, be very careful for it will be better if a millstone were hung around your neck and you dragged to the bottom of the sea, than for us to lead one of you astray. I tell the ministers in the back room, I said, listen, it's wonderful that you're getting all of these ordination and accolades, but we are the least among the people. For Jesus told us that he left the 99 to go find the one. Which means that our responsibility is not to think that you are here for us, but that we are here for you. And if one of you have gone astray, it is our responsibility to find the one. But be clear, it is your responsibility to bring more sheep into the pen. Then we now instruct them so that they remain under the protection of God's pen. But I digress. 
So the thing to be mindful of here is that the call on your life, whatever that call may be, it's a spiritual activity. God is not calling you to work in the ministry to serve, whether in the pastoral leadership or even to serve his people for your benefit. God did not call you to do the things that you are doing, whether you're a lawyer, doctor, teacher, you know, candlestick maker, whatever you are. God has not called you for your benefit to do the work in his church. He is calling us for the benefit of other people. And so what this means is, and the implication for you is that obeying a call from God, while it may not readily be apparent to you why God is calling you, the fact of the matter is, it's not always for you to know what's on the mind of God. So obedience to God's word when he calls is going to require faith. It's going to require something in you that says, though I cannot see, I still believe. God is always doing something, and in some way, while he has included your involvement in the plan, he may not reveal it to you in its entirety. When God calls you, he doesn't show you all of it. I guarantee you that when God called Moses, If he showed Moses, hey Moses, this is what you're going to be dealing with. These people in the wilderness, Pharaoh's going to be rejecting you. You're going to be dealing with a whole mountain of issues. I guarantee you, if Moses saw what was in store for him when God called him from that burning bush, Moses would be just what would do what I would do. And I say, Lord, I love you, but you need another. Because I have no desire... To risk my life for these stiff-necked people, these ungrateful people, that when you make all of these sacrifices for them in the ministry, they only call you when they need you. Come on, preacher. But when the church needs help and support, you can't find anyone. Why? Because they believe that the church is here to serve them. Well. I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. God is always doing something. And I said, while he may include you in his plan, you need faith. Faith to hear the call, faith to answer the call, and faith to act on the call. The call on your life and mine is a spiritual activity. But the call on your life, whatever that call may be, not everyone is called to the same thing. Otherwise, everybody would just be walking around in these robes looking like this. No. Everyone has a different call. Everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different path. And the path may not look like everyone else's. And so this call that God has on our lives, it actually creates this tension and this gap between our personal faith and our vocation. It, It creates this gap between our holiness and our idolatry. It has this gap. And the wider the gap, is the harder it is for you to do what God has called you to do. In other words, I know what God wants me to do, and I know how God wants me to live, yet I'm torn by what I want and my thoughts about how things should look. What I want for me does not seem to be aligned with what God wants from me. Being a Christian seems to be getting in the way of living the life I really want to live. 
or doing the work that I want to do. That's Jonah's dilemma. That's Jonah's dilemma. The, 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 I know what I want for me. But I'm struggling with what God wants from me. Notice I didn't say what God wants for me. Because everyone is looking for God to pour them out a blessing that they don't have room to receive. Everyone is looking for God. If I give you a little tithe today, am I going to see the bounty tomorrow? But how many of you know that when you plant a seed, it doesn't grow the very next day? You got to nurture it. You got to water it. You got to spend time with it. You got to make sure that it has all of the things working together for the good before you even see the first shoot. It's going to take a while before that seed becomes a mighty oak. Trust me, brothers and sisters, we are too impatient as a culture, too impatient as a people. And there are some things that are sown in tears that need to be reaped in honor and splendor. But it takes time to love. And believe me, God made a promise to Abraham. Say, you know what, Abraham? You're a good man. You got faith. I'm going to bless you in such a way that your seed is going to be greater and more than the sands on the beach or even the stars in the sky. Can you imagine getting that word from the Lord? And you go, God, you are such a good God. You're blessing me. What God didn't tell you is it's going to take 25 years before you even get the seed. Listen to what I said. Listen carefully to what I just said, church. God said, I'm going to bless you and your descendants are going to be numerous. 25 years, Abraham didn't see the numerous. He saw the child. The seed. 25 years for the seed, which means it's going to take another several years before you are the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. God will bless you with a seed. The question is, it may take 25 years, but what are you going to do with that seed after you've gotten it? And then God may say, kill it, just to see if you have faith. But I digressed. So Jonah's dilemma is he's stuck between knowing he's a good, talented prophet, that God has called him to do mighty works, but he only wants to do the works that he likes for God, not the things that causes problems and pain. So let's look at Jonah's disobedience again. Verse 3 says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here we see Jonah's disobedience on full display. But notice this in the text. Whenever you flee from the presence of the Lord, you're always going down. The text says down to Joppa. The text says down into the boat. Down he went when he was thrown overboard into the sea. Whenever you disobey God, trust me when I tell you this, brothers and sisters, no matter how talented you think you are, you are going down and moving from, further away from the presence of God. As a matter of fact, when Judas was about to betray Jesus, let me just switch up the script. And Judah, Jesus said to Judas, Judas, go do what you must do quickly. Right there in the book of John, it said quite suddenly, and it was night. You move away from the light. It's always darkness. But Jonah is a prophet of God, successful 
and renowned. Why would even Jonah, this wonderful prophet, be reluctant to preach God's word? Furthermore, being such a great prophet, Jonah probably knew God's word. And he would have been familiar with the 139th Psalm when it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. So where was Jonah really running to? Sometimes we think we can outrun God. <laughs> where was Jonah really going? The truth is Jonah knew God's voice but he did not like what God had to say because he hated the people of Nineveh so much that disobeying God was better than offering amnesty to those people. Jonah was self-righteous and judgmental. Here this church, just like me. Jonah was self-righteous and Jonah was judgmental just like me. How many times have you been told to go and forgive someone or apologize and you just didn't go even though you know in your heart it was God telling you to do so. Yet you choose to be a self-righteous Jonah and wallow in your own disobedience. You don't know how I have to wrestle with God. Sometimes when God is telling me to do the right thing. The right thing. I've had to sometimes eat what we call humble pie because I need a word from the Lord for Sunday and I'm not talking to my wife because I'm mad. It's like, all right, how long are you going to stay mad? Because the longer you stay mad, you're going to stand in that pulpit and you ain't going to have a word to say. So I had to eat humble pie and go, okay. <laughs> I'll do, I'll do what, I, what we call the tutu in my house, right? Tutu, the, okay. <laughs> but let's see if we can see why Jonah hated these people and wanted to disobey God. Listen to me cheerfully, church. Jonah was disobeying God. He knew God's word. But he, his hatred for the people outweighed his love for God. So he disobeyed. Whenever you disobey and choose to go another way, make no mistake about it. You are declaring that your desire for what you want, you love more than your love for God. I'm not mincing my words. You will end up repenting over it. But it's the truth of why we go another way. But Nineveh was about 500 miles northwest of Israel today, somewhere around northern Iraq, and it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. A little history. The, the, they conquered the northern empire of Israel around 722 BC, but they were a wicked people. The Ninevites were a wicked people. They gained their strength, their might through strong military leaders and fighters. They were just a wicked people. As a matter of fact, there is history records one of the kings of Nineveh, right, one of the Assyrian kings, this is what he wrote in his writings. Listen carefully. He wrote, and I quote, 3,000 of their combat troops I fell with weapons. Many of their captives taken from them I burned in a fire. This is the Ninevites talking about what they did to the Israelites. Many I took alive 
From some of these, I cut off their hands to the wrist. From others, I cut off their noses, ears, and fingers. I put out their eyes of many of the, the eyes of many of the soldiers. I burned their young men and women to death. Oh my goodness. And that same king went on to say, I fixed up a pile of corpses in front of the city's gate. I flayed the nobles, meaning that he skinned them, as many as had rebelled, and spread their skins out on the piles. I flayed many with my land and spread their skins out on the wall. So make no mistake about it, Jonah hated these Ninevites because of what they were doing to his people. Can you blame him? You know, Jonah hated the Ninevites because they like separate water fountains and bathrooms. Did you hear me? Jonah hated the Ninevites because their police force, they kneeled on the necks of people and shoots them. Jonah hated the Ninevites because their politicians favor the wealthy by refusing to lower the costs of things like insulin. <laughs> They, they, Jonah hated the Ninevites because they find billions of dollars for wars and have a hard time forgiving student loans. <laughs> Here it is, sometimes. And, and, and Jonah hated the Ninevites because sometimes these Ninevites invade countries for no reason. I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. <laughs> right, Walter? Just talk about what I'm talking about. So Jonah hated the Ninevites. Now let's talk about Tarshish because we understand Ninevites. I hate you. But what is this about Tarshish? Well, Tarshish was about 2,000 miles west of Israel. It was the farthest known geographical point at the time. And many scholars believe it was like southern Spain. So we're first introduced to Tarshish in the first kings of the Old Testament where Solomon referenced the ships of Tarshish because they always brought gold and silver, etc. Now, people, when, whenever people go to Tarshish, you wouldn't see them for three years. So if Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish away from Nineveh, then right away you know that Jonah had no intention <laughs> of going to see them, those people in Nineveh. He was abandoning the call. So Jonah makes his way to Joppa finds a ship headed for Tarshish. Let me pause here and say this. Whenever you decide to commit an act of disobedience, irrespective of what that disobedience is, you will always find people who are ready to go along with your plan. He found a ship in Joppa ready to take him to, to, to Tarshish. So now Jonah is off on a boat. The storm is raging and the boat hits this major storm and Jonah knew that he was the reason. So he says to the sailors, throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. The storm stops. The Bible tells us that the sailors saw this and they confessed in the one true God. Jonah, and I'm going to come back to that Jonah is then miraculously swallowed in the belly of this fish, this great fish, for three days. He's then spit out on dry land, and this now takes us to the second movement, which is Jonah's obedience. Jonah gets to Nineveh. He 
He preaches that in 40 days the city will be destroyed. Everyone hears Jonah's words. They listen to the preacher and they repent. They give their heart to the Lord and then they find God. Jonah is now extremely upset because these people that Jonah hate, these people that Jonah sees like to have other people eating at separate counters and Jonah sees all of these people who their police force are killing our young black men. Jonah sees all of this and then Jonah turns around and sees God blessing them. Jonah see them driving and building Tesla and buying, buying Twitter and spending all of this money and Jonah is upset and wondering what's going on? What's going on God? What's going on? Why are you blessing these people who are not even thinking about you? And yet here we are struggling in the ministry. Our church can't even make its commitment obligations financially and we're looking at all these people spending all of these money and they're not thinking about you. Am I talking hard? <laughs> I talk about me. <laughs> Do I sound like Jonah? Do I sound like I'm a little upset right now with God? Do I sound, let me tell you something. We need to be more honest from the pulpit, pastors. I'm telling you, sometimes I sit down in my prayer time. I'm looking at all these billions of dollars that these people are spending and how they lie on TV and the poor church. All we want to do is just a cool $3 million just to feed somebody. I put $3 million out there because I'm trying to say, God, you know, that will be okay if you kind of, <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of putting it in the atmosphere. I don't need a billion. I just need a cool three million. And we can do some good work in the city of Mount Vernon. God, we just want to pave a parking lot. <laughs> We're not asking for a whole lot. I'm just saying. But you understand what I'm saying. So Jonah is furious at how God is blessing these people who in his mind don't deserve it. And that's what we think today. We see these people spending millions and billions of dollars to go up into space for 11 minutes and come back down and people are hungry. Yeah. We see it yeah. for 11 minutes. Yeah. And you come back down and go, wow, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. The world is so gorgeous. Yes, but you're still not concerned about the things that God is concerned about. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the widows and the orphans. That's what God is concerned about. So be careful when you've been bountifully blessed by God and in your own disobedience, you do the things that bring you pleasure and miss the things that brings God pleasure. So I set up these two movements, but both, but look carefully at what I want to show you before I wrap up. In Jonah's disobedience, people got saved on the boat. And in Jonah's obedience, People got saved in Nineveh. See? So whether Jonah obeyed or disobeyed, people got saved. And I say to myself, wait a second. Wait a second. We all go through these seasons of dissatisfaction in our life, whether with our families, our friends, our coworkers, our jobs, our churches, and yes, even, uh, even our dissatisfaction with God. Yet we need to be very careful that we don't fall for what Reverend Dr. A.R. Bernard calls the fallacy of elsewhere. Thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. I always tell people that if you ever notice, the grass is always green around a cesspool. Be careful what you're trying to think is better than what you have now. When you recognize the value of what you have now, get it out of your mind that it would be better if you were over there instead of right here. 
Some people say, oh, I want to go to a bigger church, a better church, a nicer church. And you go over there and you realize that they've not been telling the truth about their conf- at their annual conferences about the state of their churches. I'm just saying. So if we compare the two cities, we see that on one hand, Tarshish represents the place of disobedience where everything seems happy and nice. Jonah didn't have to be a prophet in Tarshish. Jonah didn't have to show compassion in Tarshish. Jonah didn't have to lay aside his prideful ways. But on the other hand, Nineveh represents the uncomfortable place which presents the opportunity for forgiveness, grace, love, no self-righteous judgment. In fact, if I go to Nineveh, if I go to Nineveh, I'll have to be responsible. I'll have to be accountable. I will have to face my fears and my own insecurities and anxieties. I will have to be vulnerable. But most of all, in Nineveh, I will have to be in the presence and in the face of God where I am fully exposed for what I am. You see, here's a subtlety in the text that many of you might not know. And I want you all to have understanding. Part of the reason I believe that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because Jonah probably didn't think he was that great of a prophet. So when God is giving him this big assignment, if it doesn't work the way that Jonah thought it would work or might work, he might run the risk of being exposed as a fraud. And when that happens, you can't function. Because everyone is giving you all these accolades, telling you you're this and you're that and you're good, when meanwhile in your heart you're struggling with the fact that I'm really not as good as people think I am. Everyone is telling me that I'm amazing, but in my heart and in my mind, what I believe is I'm useless and I'm worthless. Why would God put me in a position where I'm going to have to demonstrate some skill and ability that I don't even believe I have? Why is he going to put me up to do this when I I don't know what God wants of me? Believe me when I tell you, brothers and sisters, if you can get to the place where you can denounce that spirit that tells you that you are less than who you are, If you can get to the place where you can denounce the spirit of people-pleasing. If you can get to the place where you can recognize that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That everything that God has for you is in you. And all of the struggles and the pressures and the forces that you feel, even the storms in life, are designed to pull out the greatness in you. I prayed today when I prayed. You heard me. I thanked the Lamb of God that took away my sins. But I petitioned the lion of God to fight my battles. Who are you talking to? And what is God telling you to do that you don't want to do? See, Jonah, his sin of self-righteousness was greater, greater than the sin of the Ninevites. As bad as the Ninevites were, Jonah's sin of self-righteousness was worse than that. What am I telling you? Your sin of self-righteousness, thinking about yourself higher than you. Let me make it clear. I make it plain the way I feel it. When you think you know more than God, that sin of of self-idolatry is worse than a cop kneeling on the neck of George Floyd. What I'm telling you is it's worse because it's not a condition of what you are doing. It's a condition of your heart. And God always looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. So you can pretend that you're a good person, a good Christian, all you want. But in your heart, you're holding contempt for God's people. I am telling you, he will spew you out of his mouth. Just like the whale did with Jonah. 
Because when Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days, he was a scourge until God found value for him. So is it possible that you can become so God-centric that you don't want other people exposed to the goodness of God, thinking that God is just for you? Is it possible that there are groups of people that you would rather hate than love? Is it possible that people outside of even our racial or ethnic identity that we believe are unworthy to get God's mercy and his support? Is it possible? Because we think we're better than other people, even though they do things that we deem are worse than us. When did we become God? When did we become sovereign? Is it possible that I believe I have a right to determine who gets blessed and who doesn't? I don't. I don't have any more right because I'm wearing this robe to tell you whether or not you are in or you are out. But here's what I do know. The wheat will grow with the tares. So in the church, there are people who believe and there are people who act like they believe. And I'm not your judge, but you know who you are. You know who you are. So what has God called you to do? Are you in a state of self-righteousness like Jonah? And what are you running away from? And where are you running to? What are you, really, what are you really trying to do? Are you on your way to Tarshish? The place of disobedience that looks good? Or are you on your way to Nineveh in disobedience? Everyone's life, everyone's life has a road to Nineveh. Meaning the place where you do not want to go. But it may be the place of unknown blessings, untold and unseen. Not just for you, but for other people as well. And keep this in mind that before we were saved, we were not much different from the Ninevites. But no matter where or what your Nineveh is or how bad you think it is, whether it's promiscuity, Fornication, alcoholism, abuse, slander, gossip, whatever. God is calling you to a place of repentance and obedience where forgiveness and love dwells in abundance. The message of Jonah is not don't run from it because we're all in some state of conflict and often we don't understand what God is doing. The message of Jonah is not that God will find you no matter where you run, even though that's true. <laughs> Psalm 139 reminds us of that. But the message of Jonah is that when you are conflicted, uncertain, or even fearful, run to the Lord, for his ways are higher than your ways, and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Run to the one that will make all things new, even if you can't see it right now. Run to the one that cares about you enough that he would send his only son to die for you. Run, run to the one that loves you with an everlasting love and who will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus himself, as a matter of fact, contrasted and compared his ministry with the ministry of Jonah. Did y'all know that? Read Matthew 12, 38 to 45, and Luke 11, 24 to 32. He compared Jonah's stay in the belly of the fish, referring to the time between his crucifixion 
and his resurrection. That Saturday, he was in the belly of the fish. But Jesus said these words. He says, you all know the prophet Jonah, but a greater than Jonah is here. Because while Jonah reluctantly preached to save a city, Jesus freely gave up his life to save many. I came this morning not to preach about a great prophet, a great storm, a great city, or even a great fish, but instead to preach about a great God that loves you more than you could ever know, no matter how contemptible you might feel, no matter whether or not you feel like you're a fraud and you're not good enough and you're not qualified. So in closing, there is no limit to what God can and will do to get your attention. And his purposes will be fulfilled for all things work together. Right first? For the love, for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Failure does not necessarily disqualify you from serving God. And whether you choose to obey or disobey, your decision has implications on the lives of others. Amen. But you must choose. The Bible tells us, choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, where are you going? <laughs> Anyone? Where are you going? My prayer is that you will choose to go the Lord's way. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.